This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Jim Goodis. The Noon Business Hour presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. El Salvador has become the first country to recognize Bitcoin as legal tender, and we'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the Senate has overwhelmingly approved a $250 billion bipartisan bill crafted to boost America's standing in technology. And we're joined by Paul Christopher, the head of global market strategy at Wells Fargo Investment Institute out of St. Louis. So, Paul, what exactly does this bill do? Hi, Jim. Yeah, this bill furthers a point that was developed in a bipartisan way. We've been talking about this for better than a year now, that uh, the uh, Washington uh, wants to get more competitive with China. Uh, there has been building a strategic competition between the two countries over much of the last decade, and Washington is taking notice of it. This latest bill that you mentioned approved 68 votes to 32. So again, bipartisan uh, is going to put $190 billion into U.S. technology and research and another $50 billion to increase U.S. production and research of semiconductors. So trying to get more competitive with China on tech here going forward. Paul, is the money enough? Is the funding enough? Or do we need to do other things to keep our technological edge? Because a lot of people say that China's technological advances have come at the expense of our intellectual property. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people talking that way. And, and no, no, to answer your question, we think there's going to be a lot more needed, uh, not just from the government, but in the private sector as well. Uh, we're going to probably see some uh, some duplication of supply chains. Uh, Taiwan is a big semiconductor producer. They may, in the end, go and do more for China than for the U.S. So the U.S. may have to step up there and produce in parallel with some of the other countries that produce uh, these chips uh, around the world. So uh, a lot more to come. The U.S. may be feeling like a little, we're on our, on our heels a little bit. Uh, but the, the Chinese uh, the technological development has come a long way, still behind the U.S. Uh, so uh, the U.S. just feeling the, feeling the catch up a little bit here. Paul, do we have what we need in this country right now? You, you mentioned, for instance, Taiwan, where a lot of our companies turn to for, say, chip production, that sort of thing. Do we have what we need in place in this country right now, and it's just a matter of giving it the resources, or are those resources not here at this point to compete with China? Technologically, yes, the U.S. has the resources, but but in terms of production, in terms of scale, in terms of the very large factories that, that manufacture these chips, and a lot of them are needed, that's probably where the U.S. wants to develop more capacity. I know Intel's thinking about that. Is that kind of the line that we're looking at as our, our, our companies in this country, you know, uh, Micron here in the U.S. with, you know, a key facility here in the Chicago area? Is that the kind of place where, you know, are those companies the ones that we're looking to to maybe kind of turn things around technology-wise? 
It would be that technology sector. Uh, yes, you mentioned uh, that uh, that we would expect to see them uh, get more involved in production as well as development of chips uh, going forward. Really going to be important for the next generation and generations to come of technologies that consumers and businesses are going to use. We need to have those chips. Paul Christopher, the head of global market strategy at Wells Fargo Investment Institute in St. Louis. Thanks, Paul, for your perspective on all this. Coming up, a Central American nation makes an historic move involving cryptocurrency. Lawmakers in El Salvador have approved the use of Bitcoin as legal tender in that country. And we welcome Bill Uliveri, the owner of Senegal Capital Management in Glenview. So, Bill, tell me about this. Uh, Why would a nation want to make Bitcoin a legal tender? It's the future is what I think is happening. We're seeing uh, greater and greater adoption, not only by U.S. companies like PayPal, J.P. Morgan, uh, MicroStrategies, and other companies. To have a nation that has roughly a 0% inflation rate, the average demographic age of around 27 or 28 years old, where we 70% of the El Salvador, pop, uh, the El Salvador population does not have a bank account does not have access to financial services. So the president's decision to accept Bitcoin means that every business must accept Bitcoin as legal tender for goods and services unless they cannot afford the technology needed to do that transaction. And even then, the, uh, the, the country of El Salvador is going to be creating a trust fund to help uh, small business owners receive Bitcoin as payment for goods and services, which is mostly uh, travel, and uh, remittances from other countries. So it's, it's not just accepting Bitcoin as legal tender. The fact is the country of El Salvador is going to make, is going to make the country a Bitcoin-free tax zone. So no capital gains, all, all capital gains from Bitcoin, all profits from Bitcoin, it's going to be no capital gains tax. Uh, it's going to be a cryptocurrency hub of entrepreneurship in Latin America. I think this is huge, huge news. Now, if... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they're also going to keep the U.S. dollar as an official currency in El Salvador. So if that is the case, is it something where a hybrid system makes the most sense in a case like this? Or could you see a case where at some point some country just says, OK, we're going with crypto? I think it's going to be a, hyb- a hybrid case from, from now on. But remember, even today in 2021, when I buy and sell a transaction at my local brokerage firm, it takes a couple of days for those funds to clear when I do an ACH transfer from a one account to another, it takes about a day or two to clear. When I send a, tra- a wired transfer in the U.S. system, it takes a month sometimes for it to go from one like location to the next. So while El Salvador uh, abandoned its own currency roughly in 2000, 2001, when I say abandoned, I meant that they just pegged their economy to the U.S. dollar. This is, we're going to see a hybrid system for now. But ultimately, I do believe that there will be countries that will, will not take the U.S. dollar and only take their own form of a central bank digital currency or something like uh, like Bitcoin. Because you have to remember, even in Kenya, their economy uses, 75% of their economy uses a smartphone that costs about $25. They, too, have no access to banks. So much of the remittances and transactions back and forth uh, are electronic, and we're only seeing greater access to that. They're going to skip over the brick-and-mortar businesses of banking they go right to person to person, which is exactly the value proposition Bitcoin offered uh, 10 years ago. That's Bill Uliveri, the owner of Seneca Capital Management in Glenview. Thanks. Great perspective on all this. Up next, most things from food to fuel are getting more expensive. 
loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The economic recovery from the pandemic is fueling higher prices in most products. And joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line is Mark Holbert, the investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com out of Washington. So, Mark, everybody knows and they're seeing higher prices, but give us a kind of an in-depth explanation as to why prices are higher. Well, uh, the uh, the explanations, I think, are pretty straightforward. The real question is whether it's uh, only a temporary blip or whether it uh, will continue. But those reasons that I think many of us know about is the, the economy is opening up and a lot of people are are uh, heading uh, back to do their shopping and uh, you know put to work a lot of the money that they've been saving for the last year and three months. And so there's a lot of money chasing uh, relatively few goods. There's still some supply shortages that we hear about and so forth. It really accounts for some of the commodity prices that have shot up. You mentioned lumber being one of them. The question, of course, is whether it's more than, than uh, you know, whether it's just temporary or whether it's persistent. <coughs> Excuse me. And what I have found I, I, in, in a recent column, I went back and I looked at a number of it, different models that try to predict where inflation will be, and I just tested their track record. And uh, the the model that has the best track record going back a couple decades actually thinks that uh, this is only a temporary blip. In fact, they think that inflation will remain relatively low for at least the next five years. So there's no guarantee, but I would rather, for my money, rely on one of these models than to rely on an economist who, uh, you know, economists are always disagreeing with each other anyway. Well, that's true. <laughs> if you can get two economists to agree, you've achieved something. Let me, <laughs> let me, let me ask you this. Uh, is this simply a matter of the economy kind of finding its its watermark as it as it's recovering from the pandemic is that a lot of what's dealing with these prices yeah i think that's a it's a fair statement i mean we have to remember that when we look at the headline inflation we'll get the headline release for what the month of may was tomorrow morning at 8:30 east coast time and what everyone will focus on is the 12 month rate of change we have to remember that the economy was more or less shut down one year ago in uh, april of in may uh, april and may of last year and so prices actually declined we actually had outright deflation in those months and so we're comparing the current rate to an artificially low rate a year ago. Well, of course, that'll make it look like the 12-month rate of change is higher than it would be. So what I did, another thing that I think is fascinating, I went back and looked at where we would have been if the inflation of the year prior, so this is 2019, if it had continued at the same pace for the next two years, where would we be now? And it turns out we'll be exactly where we are being reported tomorrow within basis points. And so we're basically just getting back to where we would have been and no one would have given it the, uh, the time of day. But it's only because we have this artificial comparison that makes people think that there's something uh, really worth talking about. Mark Holbert, the investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's and Market Watch out of Washington. Thanks so much, Mark. Great perspective and some reassuring news as we see these higher prices. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, checking your portfolio to make sure it has the right amount of cash. News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. And the Noon Business Hour presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. These are the top stories at 1230. President Biden is set to meet with world leaders during the first overseas trip of his administration. This is Bernie Tafoya. The state and city see COVID positivity rates drop to their lowest level since March of last year. In Personal Finance Wednesday, making sure you have the right balance of cash in your portfolio. Also on the financial front, improving your credit score can have multiple benefits. 
Right now on Wall Street, the Dow is down nearly 41 points. The S&P 500 up four. The Nasdaq is ahead by 46 points. Again, AccuWeather says we're heading up to a partly sunny high of 88. Staying in the upper 70s by the lake. We will have some scattered thunderstorms, but we're not expecting rain in much of the area this afternoon. At 1231. President Biden is en route to London, the first leg of his foreign trip as president. CBS's Skylar Henry maps out the itinerary, which includes one-on-one meetings with Queen Elizabeth and Russian leader Vladimir Putin. President Biden swatted away a cicada as he prepared to board Air Force One, and then he laid out his agenda for his European trip. Strengthening the alliance, make it clear to Putin and to uh, China that Europe and the United States are tight, and the G7 is going to move. It's a jam-packed trip, starting with a meeting with British Prime Minister Boris Johnson and then the G7 summit in Cornwall, England. He will also meet with Queen Elizabeth before heading to Belgium for a meeting of NATO partners to discuss defense spending, cybersecurity, and Russia. Skyler Henry, CBS News, Washington. The latest numbers back the reopening of Illinois later this week. The COVID-19 test positivity rate for the city and the state are at their lowest levels since March of last year. For the city, it's at 1.6%, 1.1% for the state of Illinois. The city is reporting an average of 91 people each day contracting the coronavirus, while yesterday the state reported 365 in its latest 24-hour count. Vaccinations have slowed, though. 51% of Illinois adults are fully vaccinated. The state is averaging nearly 43,000 shots in arms a day now, when the average in April was more than 131,000. Bernie Tafoya, News Radio, 105.9 FM. A reminder Odyssey is your home for all the audio that matters to you. Download the Odyssey app, A U D A C Y, to listen to us anytime, or just ask your smart speaker to play WBBM News Radio. Discussing the news affecting your money, the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Markets are mixed, and we're joined by Jim Welsh, the macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. So, Jim, what's happening on Wall Street today? Well, I think it's just a tread the water a day uh, type of uh, action, and you know, people are waiting for the CPI uh, report coming out tomorrow. And I think uh, you know markets are just treading water, and we're going to wait for that number to come out. What about the CPI and prices and possible inflation? What concerns you about that, or is there as much reason for concern as some are thinking? Yeah, I did a deep dive in terms of looking at the four factors that I think are contributing to inflation at this point in time in my June macro tides issue, and I'd be happy to offer uh, that, Jim, to listeners. Uh, just email me at jimwelshmacro uh, at gmail.com. And basically, it's base effects, uh, supply chain uh, bottlenecks, services, and wages. And my conclusion, Jim, is that, uh, yes, some of the base effects, supply chain stuff are going to unwind over the next two to four months. But I think service inflation, wage inflation are going to keep the core inflation rate above 3%, which is way above the Fed's target. So I think as we get past mid-year, you know, Chairman Powell's, idea that uh, this inflation surge is going to be transitory, the markets are going to call that into question as this data unfolds and hopefully supports uh, you know, my expectation that inflation is going to be a bigger problem, last a bit longer than uh, transitory would imply. 
Now, of course, we don't have as much time here as we would like to get into all the details here, but just generally, what's your advice for investors moving forward as we watch this with the concerns that you've raised? Yeah, I think technically, I combine technical analysis and fundamental analysis, Jim, and technical analysis looking at a number of the marks imply I think we're going to see another pop higher in the stock market. Uh, So the S&P and some of the averages are going to make new all-time highs, but the fundamentals are going to take over after July. I think there's a prospect of after this pop coming that we'll see a 7 to 10% correction. Could be deeper than that, depending on how the data comes in. So I would not be adding, certainly, to anything here, and I would look to maybe lighten up with the notion that you raise a little cash, if I get the uh, or the market provides this dip that I expect, then that cash can be put back to work. And I would actually favor potentially, um, you know, the, the mega cap stocks, which have kind of been going nowhere since last September. And I think they are going to get hit, too. If I'm right about the 10 year yield getting up to new to 10 uh, percent, pardon me, 2 percent, that's going to hurt the mega cap stocks in the short run during this correction. But after that, I think the mega cap stocks are going to return to favor. All right, so Jim, for those who would like to get a deeper dive into all of this, give us that email again. Thanks. Uh, Jim Welsh, W-E-L-S-H, macro, at gmail.com. And you can also check out Jim's website at macrotides.com. Jim Welsh is the macro strategist and portfolio manager for Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. Up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, how to know if you're keeping the right amount of cash in your portfolio. Investing 60 minutes each weekday toward planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday. This afternoon, we're looking at portfolios and making sure the balance of cash is where it should be. And joining us on the McGrath-Lexus business line, Mark Horner, the wealth advisor at Fairhaven Wealth Management in Wheaton. You can check out Mark's website at fairhavenwealth.com. And Mark, I guess there is such a thing, as hard as it is for me to believe, as having too much cash. Uh, That is true, Jim, and that's going to vary, of course, for anybody's circumstances. But one rule of thumb to maybe think about is uh, any expenses that you know for certain that you're going to need that cash for in, let's say, the next two to three years, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make sense to have that money either invested incredibly conservatively or just, or just in cash. So you don't, you don't want to be thinking about investing the grocery money that you're gonna, that you're going to need next month. But, but beyond that, beyond that maybe two or three year period, yeah, you probably should be thinking about being, uh, being fully, fully invested in the right mix of stocks and bonds that makes sense for you. Now, I guess with prices going up, you know, cash is static when you're holding it. Uh, so you want to put it somewhere where it's going to work for you and just not kind of let, just lie around and, and uh, let uh, price increases and possible inflation diminish its value, right? So absolutely. So you're touching on a topic that risk takes many forms and the loss of purchasing power. Uh, so maybe another way to talk about inflation is, is also is also risk. And anybody that's filled up the gas tank or, or maybe gone to Home Depot to buy some two by fours doesn't need an explanation about how quickly inflation can uh, can creep up on you. So so again, for those for those uh, those financial goals that are that are out in uh, beyond beyond three years. Yeah, really got to think twice about taking the certain loss of purchasing power to inflation and think about getting invested. So what would be in the time that we have, which is which is short, because normally when you're advising your clients at Fairhaven, you're getting into a lot more detail than this. But what's a simple rule of thumb we should be following right now in terms of how much cash we should have? 
So, so again, I'd think about that three-year, that three-year budget, and that should probably be in some sort of checking or savings account. And then, and then, uh, and then beyond that, think about think about getting your portfolio invested according to the the mix that makes sense for you. And for people that are sitting on more cash, I think it's very difficult to try and pick a Wednesday to go ahead and get in, get invested. We are big fans of having a dollar cost averaging plan in place. And so what that means is if you're, again, you're sitting on too much cash, you're going to invest some portion of that cash in that mix of stocks and bonds. It's right for you in a disciplined way each and every month for the next, let's say three to six or nine months until you get that money fully invested. That will help reduce the anxiety that the stock market just naturally creates in us. So we're big fans of that dollar cost averaging approach. Now, you've talked about the things to do. Uh, What is the biggest mistake that you're seeing people making right now in terms of how much cash they're holding on to? Yeah, so unfortunately, over the last year, there's been a ton of economic of economic shocks, and and we've we've seen a couple of clients move entirely to cash, so abandon that long term investment portfolio, and that's it's an understandable reaction when when uh, when markets do crazy things, but to, it really pays off to try and resist that reaction, stick to the discipline of your of your plan because if you're going to try and play that timing game of i'm going to go to cash and i'm going to get back invested it, it it has just been proven to be impossible to win uh consistently consistently so really important to stay disciplined on those long-term financial goals and to stay invested mark horner the wealth advisor at fairhaven wealth management in wheaton and again you can check out his website at fairhavenwealth.com join us at this time tomorrow for technology thursday and still to come the benefits of improving your credit score. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Credit score is a key in making the most of your financial situation. And let's talk about some of the benefits with Bill Hardikoff, the senior industry analyst at cardrates.com out of Birmingham, Alabama. So, Bill, it sounds obvious that the better your credit score, the better things are for you. But what don't people really understand about why it's important even if you've got a fairly decent credit score, to get it higher if you can. Well, a credit score, Jim, is one of the most important numerical scores that you have as an adult. Uh, it, it can help you with getting a job, getting an apartment, uh, obviously getting a good interest rate on a loan. So you want to drive that credit score up as high as you possibly can. And a good credit score is usually on the FICO scale is usually anywhere above 680, 690. I like to say 700 is what you should try and target for. That's a good credit score. You know, anything over, say, uh, 800 is an outstanding credit score. So what are some things that people don't really realize they can do to get that credit score up and improve such things as, you know, interest rates on loans and chances of getting a job, that sort of thing? Well, there are five big factors in, the, in a credit score, and two of the most important that people can control. The biggest one is paying all of your bills on time. Never, ever miss a payment or be late on a payment. That's the biggest factor in the FICO credit score. It accounts for 35% of your score. So you can see that for over a third of your score, if you just pay everything on time, you're going to see your score hopefully increase. The second biggest thing is to keep your your debt level low. You want to keep what's called your debt utilization. That's the amount of debt you have divided by the amount of available credit. You want to keep that under 30%. And if you do that, 
if you do both of those things, your credit score should go up. Now, there's one thing that you might think, well, I'll just pay off all my bills and I'll have no debt and that helps. But that doesn't always help, does it? Well, I think it's a misconception that if you don't have any debt, that that will hurt your credit score. That is that is not a true statement. You want you want to have you want to have available credit. If you don't have any credit, you're not going to see your credit score go up. So I mean if you don't have a credit card account or you don't have any kind of a loan of any kind, that might hurt your score. But you should not carry debt. That's a misconception. Don't carry uh, you know a balance on your credit card thinking that's going to help your credit score, it won't have any effect on your credit score and it will hurt you financially because of the high interest rates on your card. So don't necessarily go and cancel your cards if you've paid them off, right? That's kind of the key here. No, you definitely don't want to, people think that, hey, if I cancel my credit cards or close my credit card account, that will help my credit score. That actually is, is untrue and it's actually the reverse. If you close your credit uh, accounts, uh, that hurts you on two factors. One is it lowers your amount of available credit, so it raises your this debt utilization ratio that I was talking about that's so important. And the second thing is one of the other factors in your credit score is the length of credit history. So if you've had a credit card for a long period of time and you close that account, it actually will be a ding on your credit score. So just don't use your credit cards that's better than closing the accounts. Just put it in a sock drawer, take it out once every month or two, buy yourself lunch and pay it off right away. That will actually help your credit score. Bill, great advice and great clarifications. Bill Hardikoff is the senior industry analyst at hardrates.com out of Birmingham, Alabama. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at wbbmnewsradio.com and the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. See T-Mobile.com. 